Thanks for joining us and supporting Vikido Fitness. We ask for your continued support by becoming an It's All About Health and Fitness premium member. Go to www.vikidofitness.com forward slash join. Again, that's www.vikidofitness.com forward slash join and register for a $6 monthly subscription. And remember, keep listening, sharing, and checking us out. The views and opinions expressed are for general informational purposes only. Consult with your physician or medical health care provider for medical advice, diagnosis, and or treatment. Today, we talk about self-care for mental health and wellness. Self-care is providing attention to your own psychological and emotional well-being, which can be different for everyone. Some folks like to go and hang out with a close friend. Some folks may choose to find a quiet space and meditate. But it's important to do something for your self-care and mental wellness. Joining us is Dr. Stephen King, a psychiatrist who practices here in Northeast Ohio. He will share with us ways that we can learn to practice self-care, which will enhance and protect our mental health. All this and more on It's All About Health and Fitness. Welcome to It's All About Health and Fitness with Dr. Vicki Hayward-Doe and Dr. Virginia Banks-Bright. This program is brought to you by Vicki Doe Fitness, a multimedia health and wellness forum. Now, here's your host, Vicki Doe and D. Banks-Bright. I'm Dr. Vicki Haywood-Doe, and with me is the one and only Dr. Virginia D. Banks-Bright. So, how are you? Hi, Vicki. I'm good. How are you doing? I am doing fine. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> hey, we're here, right? Yes. We are here. Well, today we talk about mental wellness. And so the questions are, how can we empower ourselves and participate in mental health self-care? And what is self-care? And so self-care is providing adequate attention to our own psychological and emotional well-being. And this can also mean that self-care does not look the same for any two people because some folks may practice self-care by hanging out with their close friend and watching a favorite movie. Other folks may practice self-care by going to a quiet space and meditating or simply taking a relaxing bubble bath. Now, research has shown that practicing self-care is good for our mental health because it relies on increased self-awareness, which is beneficial for our mental health. Now, joining us today is Dr. Stephen King, a psychiatrist who practices here in our Northeast Ohio area. He will talk about how we can learn to practice self-care and to enhance and manage our mental health and well-being, especially as we continue to cope with stress and the ramifications of COVID-19. And so I can't wait to hear from him. Right, Dee? Absolutely. Now, make sure you go to our resources page, 
vickidofitness.com forward slash resources. And there you will find products and services that will be helpful to you as you embrace a life of health and fitness. Now we have a variety of items on our resource list for you to check out and try. We have Reebok, Walby Parker, Polar, iRemedy Healthcare. That's where I go and buy all of my masks and so forth. We also have on the list the right stuff. That's W-R-I-G-H-T. And that's medical supplies for caregivers. And they have so much stuff on that website for you to buy. If you are a caregiver, things that you you might not find at other medical supply stores. There's Art of Tea, those people that are tea lovers. Yes, Um, they have wonderful blends of different teas. Um, So check out Art of Tea. My lab box is there. You know, a lot of folks want to check their status at home. You know, you can do that. This is a FDA approved way of finding out your status, uh, HIV, STD, they have gluten, you know, you can check out your gluten intolerance and all that. My lab box, what's so cool is that when you find out, when you get your results, you have free availability to be able to consult with a physician. So my lab box is on this resource page, ecolunchbox.com is there and much more. But let's let's talk about JessNutritive.com. This company is the fastest growing skin and hair care online store. There is a wide selection of naturally effective skin and hair care products on this website. And their products are handmade, fresh, you know, vegan, made in the U.S. of A, the U.S. of A, sulfate free, color safe, no parabens, Um, chloride-free, gluten-free. There are thousands of testimonials by customers detail how they are amazed and delighted at the benefits of their products. And so they have natural hair products for black hair as well. And they are awesome. I've tried, I keep saying how I've tried the the leave-in conditioner and it is outstanding. So listen, make sure you go and check out JessNutritive.com on our resources page. Our resources page, VickiDoFitness.com forward slash resources. And remember, when you use any of the affiliate links to buy any of the products and services on our resources page, you are supporting us here at VickiDoFitness. And as always, what do we say, D? Thank you, thank you, thank you for your support. Thank you, thank you for your support. Well, Dee, I, I know you probably saw this on Facebook. and I did. Let me announce it. Okay, go so ahead. our own Dr. Vicki Haywood Doe received the Shiro Award from the Ohio Commission on Minority Health. And on Facebook yesterday, you attended the virtual statewide Minority Health Month kick off an award ceremony. Kudos. Well, thank you. Thank you. It was a a present surprise, but this happened actually last year, and we were supposed to go to this kickoff. It was going to be a big breakfast in March, and then boom, that's when it shut down. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, COVID hit. That's 
Wonderful. That is absolutely fantastic. Now, did I see that Marlon get one too? Yes, he did. Yes, and I can't remember what his was, but yeah, he did get one. I know he did. Well, he was doing something with Minority Health. You know, he's not at the Cleveland Clinic anymore, but he was doing something with Minority Black Men's Not Something. He was a major person in the city of Cleveland doing prostate cancer screening and all of that for black men in the city of Cleveland. He got an award for that, so... And quite a few people got awards, and they were kicking off Minority Health Month. Also, I might add, she is also a nominee for the wonderful Athena Award here in Youngstown, Ohio. Yay! Yeah, that's that's pretty cool. Is this your first time being nominated, Vicki? Yes, yes. Oh, wow, that's great. Yeah, so. That's great. Now, they're planning on having that. That's going to be in May. Yes, I understand. They're not going to have it at Mr. Anthony's. It looked like there was some other venue that I wasn't familiar with. It's going to be in Canfield. So I'm going to get a table. And so I want you guys, I want you to sit at the table. Yes, so I'm going to get a table. So remember that. And then everybody at my table will be vaccinated. If you ain't vaccinated, you ain't sitting Uh, at my table. (laughs) No, no vaccine. Don't come. That's absolutely right. <laughs> That's how I roll, right? Absolutely. Well, I think more people now are sort of like, you know, so-and-so, let's get together. Are you vaccinated? I mean, that's the second question out of everybody's mouth now is that most people don't want to go around anybody who's not vaccinated. That's it. And rightfully so. Rightfully so. That was my week, you know, starting out. Huh. And, and so. Great. Yeah, so I'm 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 happy and thanks to Lee Green, she um nominated me. She's the director for the Youngstown District of the Minority Health. Um she nominated me for the Shiro Award with Minority Health and then our own Yvonne Mathis nominated me for the Athena. Yes. Mm-hmm. So oh, well done and well deserved. Well, thank you, Dr. D. You are so so well. Yes. So how was your week? Um, it was you know, it was okay. I mean, I didn't really do very much last weekend. Just kind of chill. Getting back into my exercise routine, which I'm really happy about. Swimming every day that I can for an hour. Uh socially distance. It's really great because you can call and reserve a lane now to do a community center. So you have an entire lane to yourself. There are not a lot of people in these gyms now, which is fine with me because I don't want to be around a lot of people anyway. Right. (laughs) um, That and then last week for the first time, the weather was really nice. I went on a three-mile walk. Did well. You know, I'm having problems with the spinal stenosis, but it was a good walk. So it made me think that I can get back into the game of at least a 5K walk. Yes. I've missed that so much. I don't have to run. I can walk. So, yeah, so that for me was really kind of, you know, being able to, be, you know, get back into the exercise thing, especially if you've been off of it and then having to deal with the COVID-20, it makes you realize that, you know, okay, all right, we fell off the wagon, now we can get back on and keep it moving. We can keep it moving. That's exactly yeah, it. Yeah, keep it moving. We yeah. can keep it moving. Yes, yes. So, what is going on this week? Oh, my God. Everything, Vicki. Everything. 
as we said, April is National Minority Health Month, and it is a time to raise awareness about health disparities that continue to affect racial and ethnic minority populations and encourage action through health education, early detection, and control of disease complications. National Minority Health Month is celebrated every year in April, and it builds awareness about the disproportionate burden of premature death and illness in minority populations. And it also encourages action through health education, early detection, and control of disease complications, as we keep saying. This National Minority Health Month, it started in what 1915, and it was established by the National Negro Health Week by Booker T. Washington. Booker T. Washington. And so in 2002, National Minority Health Month received support from the U.S. Congress with a concurrent uh, resolution that, in quotes, it says, a National Minority Health and Health Disparities Month should be established to promote educational efforts on the health problems currently facing minorities and other health disparity populations. And so the resolution encouraged all health organizations and Americans to conduct appropriate programs and activities to promote healthfulness in minority and other health disparities communities. This year, 2021, the theme for the Minority Health Month is vaccine ready, hashtag vaccine ready. As recognized by the HHS office, Health and Human Services Office of Minority Health, the COVID-19 pandemic has disproportionately impacted racial and ethnic minority communities and underscores the need for these vulnerable communities to get vaccinated as more vaccines become available. So COVID-19 vaccination is an important tool to help us get back together with our families, our communities, schools, and workplaces by preventing the spread of COVID-19 and bringing an end to the pandemic. And so, yes, the National Minority Health Month and Division joins other federal organizations to focus on empowering communities to get the facts to be vaccine ready. That is, what is it, the uh, National Institute of Minority Health Division. That's what it is, N-I-M-H-D. And here's the website, nimhd.nih.gov forward slash programs. So what do you have to say about that, D? No, it's great. I had no idea that it started that long ago in 1915 by Booker T. Washington. That's great information. Yeah, that's been a while, hasn't it? <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so 19, yeah, 1915. Mm-hmm. Yep. So, yeah, everybody is on that. That's all I heard when I was at the virtual statewide, when I was listening to, uh-huh. to the Minority Health Program. Uh-huh. That was their focus, you know, encouraging people to get vaccinated. That's great. Well, they should. And not just COVID, but everything else. You know, updating yourself on your pneumovax, your pneumococcal vaccine, your Stingrex, and your tetanus, and all of that. One of the things that I think I should continue to say on this show is that now that people are vaccinated for COVID, they need to go back to 
start dealing with your own health. I mean, like this week, I started making appointments with my primary care doctor just to get myself back into my own health because I think many of us have neglected our own personal health because of COVID. So now is the time for us to get back out and, as they say, hashtag vaccine ready. Hashtag vaccine ready. That's it. So, yeah, I got to get back in the groove, too, with um, my wellness check and all that yeah we have to we, you know you have to because things slip up on you you know um and before you know it stuff has slipped up and then you've got you're now trying to backpedal and backtrack and catch up with what you know some time that you've lost so yeah just no time like the present no time like the present well we see what's going on now you know the trial Oh, my God. That's all you see now. I OJ again. You remember OJ? Yeah. Yep. That whole trial. Um, yeah, that's every day now we're going to see it. Just, I don't know. We'll see how things shake out. You know, the prosecution is in defense of presenting their cases. And I, You know what? We're, it's so funny because I used to live in Minnesota, in Minneapolis. Okay. Okay. And the dem- demographic. We didn't even have that much of a black population when I lived up there. Okay. So times have significantly changed. In fact, the minority population in Minnesota at that time was the Native Americans, the Dakota Indians. Okay. Uh, Dakota Native Americans. So, yeah, to see all these, you know, uh, black and brown people in, and then there was another group called the Hmong. They were from Cambodia, but now there's a large population of bigger uh, black indigenous people of color population so it's just interesting to see within the last 30 years how the demographics in Minnesota have changed so we'll see how this shakes out it's supposed to be what a month long yeah very interesting how I was listening to you know we're not here to discuss the case but as I say as I always talk about on Facebook my alien person looking down he just passed a bad bad money. We just passed a bad $20 bill, and now we're dealing with a, 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 a trial that's of the same proportion to OJ. I know. In the middle of a pandemic. In the middle of a pandemic. In the middle of a pandemic. Right. And we're trying to get millions and millions of people vaccinated to keep a surge down and all of that. We're dealing with this trial on television in the middle of a pandemic. I think that just speaks volumes, or whatever way you want to look at it, it speaks volumes. It speaks volumes, yeah. Yeah, and my my thing is, unfortunately, he might, the, the police, who's, what what's his name? Derek, Derek Sher- Chauvin. Chauvin, he might get off. Uh, yeah. I know. That is correct. It's very hard in this country to, to, to convict a police officer. Whatever it is, Constitution and all of that, but you're right. He could get off with all the evidence, with all the films, with all the, 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 the eyewitnesses, and all of that. He could walk. Yeah, he could walk. So there you have it. And there you have it. There you have it. Yep. We shall see. We shall see. That's all you can say. Is we shall see. We shall see. Well, we always leave with a health tip. And so our health tip today is 
Fiber Fights Depression. And this is written in Idea Health and Fitness Association, and it's on the website. It says the link between fiber and mood may come down to your gut. A high fiber diet has been linked to a range of health benefits, including protective effects against heart disease, cancer, and obesity. Now we can add lower rates of depression to the list, at least if the right gut bacteria are hanging around. A study involving more than 5,800 women of various ages found that premenopausal women with higher intakes of dietary fiber were less likely to experience depression than premenopausal women with lower fiber intake. The same association was not found among postmenopausal women. The researchers who reported their findings in menopause theorized that the difference between the groups may be due to estrogen levels affecting the balance of gut microorganisms in pre- and postmenopausal women. The link between dietary fiber and mental health in women, and likely men as well, might be partially explained by gut-brain interactions. Positive changes in gut microbiota composition brought on by higher fiber consumption could positively affect neurotransmission. Future research will need to determine whether estrogen depletion during menopause does indeed make the microbiome less responsive to a dietary change like eating more fiber, and if so, how the effects can be ameliorated. So what do you think about that, D fiber? No, I've, I've always been a big proponent of fiber, and that's another thing that I've got back to in my, I won't say diet, but lifestyle change is trying to add more fiber because that keeps you full longer. I've been trying to include more fiber my, you know, food intake. Yeah, more fiber. Yes, yes. Let's all try to do more fiber. You get more fiber from fruits, more fruits and vegetables. That's it. So that's and that's interesting to talk about the uh, findings in menopausal and premenopausal women. It's kind of interesting. I took a course uh, online. I mean, it was a YSU course last semester from a professor at YSU on the human the human microbiome. He talked a lot about and microbiota. It's really interesting because that's a whole nother different, that's a whole nother different area in and of itself, right? Yes. We always say the gut is like a, a, a second brain. It is. <laughs> I mean, the whole course was on the gut microbiome and all the different bacteria and all the functions and physiological functions and all of that. It was just fascinating. Yes. And we didn't learn any of that stuff in medical school. Okay. Wow. Yeah, that's a... that's a great. It, was also, it also kind of boils down to what we say, you are what you eat. You are what you eat. There it is. So that's why you can understand why some people are crazy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, Absolutely. Yeah. Because of what they eating. That's it. Yeah. You know, food, the... the you know, it, it's just, like I said, very fascinating, the connection between, you know, like you said, mental health, microbiota, and all of that. What's the latest then? You got some latest? Yes. I just wanted to say in terms of COVID, today Pfizer announced that their vaccine, the messenger RNA vaccine, was safe 
for, uh, I guess, preteen, 12, up to, I want to say Pfizer is up to 18, I think you can take. I think Moderna is 16. But in any case, they've now, uh, they have now uh, said that it's safe for either 12 to 15 or 12 to 16, whichever one, or 12 to 17. But it's safe and as just as efficacious, which is extremely good news because people have asked me when I've done it, well, you know, is it important to test for children? Yes, because they are a significant portion of our population. And we know that, you know, children can be asymptomatic carriers, and that's what we're trying to find out about adults, that if they're vaccinated, you know, can they still asymptomatically carry the bacteria? It's actually turning out that maybe they can't. Good news, too. So it's just another segment of the population that we need vaccinated to achieve herd immunity, because you cannot immunity without including children. You just can't. Okay. That so makes that's good news. So that is good news. Yeah, that makes sense. No, that's very good news. Yes, yes. Hi everyone. This is Dr. Vicki Haywood Doe. I just wanted to break in for a quick second and introduce to you the sponsor and creator of this show. It's the company I own, Haywood Doe Consulting Co doing business as Vikido Fitness. We are a health and wellness consulting company that specializes in designing and implementing medically integrated applied exercise physiology-based fitness wellness programs, initiatives, events, health promotion, and health education for special populations such as older folks, children, adolescents, overweight and obese individuals, cardiac rehab, women's health, and those who have chronic diseases. We have a team and network of healthcare professionals based out of Northeast Ohio, and we've worked with many companies, schools, churches, and organizations. If your goal is to transform your life by taking a holistic approach to living a life of health and total well-being, Get in touch with us at info at To find out more about our own site and online programs and services, go to vikidofitness.com. And now back to the show. Today, we talk about the importance of self-care for our mental health and well-being. Research has shown that when we practice self-care, we are able to increase our self-awareness, which is beneficial for our overall mental health and well-being. We have joining us Dr. Stephen King, a psychiatrist who practices here in Northeast Ohio. He will talk about ways to practice self-care and what we can do daily to promote and protect our mental wellness. Let's listen to our interview with Dr. Stephen King. Now, here with us today is the phenomenal Dr. Stephen King. He's a board-certified psychiatrist who specializes in forensic psychiatry and neurology. Now, Dr. King graduated from the Rush Medical College of Rush University Medical Center in Chicago, Illinois, and completed his residency at the Cleveland 
Clinic Foundation and Metro Health Medical Center, both located in Cleveland, Ohio. And he currently practices here in the Northeast Ohio area at the Center for Behavior Health. Now today, Dr. King, he will talk with us about the importance of taking care of our mental health on a daily basis, as well, most especially during this emotional and stressful time. Now, he will also give us his expert advice on how we can empower ourselves by sharing some mental health self-care tips on managing our mental well-being. Dr. Stephen, how are you today? Oh, I'm fine. I'm honored to be back with you guys. Thank you so much for having me back. Oh yeah, we yes, we definitely yeah. we definitely are very happy that you are here with us today. Now, for some of our listeners, they don't know who you are, so kind of tell your story how you became a psychiatrist, but also, you know, I said forensic psychiatry and psychiatry. Is there a difference? And tell us. I had always wanted to be a doctor. Uh, my mother worked at. Barnes Hospital in St. Louis, which is a pretty famous hospital. And when I was growing up, I just wanted to be a doctor. So I was fortunate enough to be able to get in med school. And uh, I initially was going to go into internal medicine, but I did a rotation on the west side of Chicago at a mental health center called Miles Square. And this it was an elective in my fourth year, and something just really clicked for me. I just was able to identify with the patient, and I was really excited about dealing with that aspect of uh, medicine. But I still was a little bit ambivalent, so I came to the Cleveland Clinic in 1982, uh, followed a good friend of mine here from Illinois to the clinic, and I was going to be an internist, but, uh, you know, I just continued to kind of want to go into psychiatry. So about halfway through, I just made up my mind, you know, I'm going to do what is in my heart's desire. So I was able to transfer over to Metro Hospital to do my residence. Okay. And uh, so that's kind of the psychiatry piece. And the forensic part, uh, there's a famous psychiatrist in Cleveland by the name of Dr. Philip Resnick. I'm sure you all I may have heard him. I know him. Yes, I remember him. He used to testify in all the famous trials. Yes, right. So he was a hero of mine. I always wanted to meet Dr. Resnick. So I, I got a chance to meet Dr. Resnick in my uh, last year of residence, and I had a National Health Service Corps obligation that I had to uh, fulfill. So I wasn't able to do the fellowship when I finished my residency, but I continued to have an interest in forensic psychiatry, which is the interface of psychiatry and the law. Mm. So the kind of issues that you deal with are, as Dr. D just alluded to, Sanity at the time of a criminal act or competency to stand trial or assessing someone's competence to to, uh, complete a will or, you know, malpractice issues. So there's a civil component to forensic psychiatry and a criminal component. But I was always intrigued by the law and psychiatry's interface. And I, you know, admired Dr. Resnick. I mean, I was kind of like, I worshipped him in a way, you know. (laughs) <laughs> so um, <laughs> when I finished my commitment to the National Health Service Corps and went into practice, I started working at the Court Psychiatric Clinic in Cleveland where Dr. Resnick 
runs his training program and also uh, practices forensic psychiatry. And in 1982, I had a chance to do the fellowship. Mm. So I was able to do the fellowship, so I fulfilled one of my uh, bucket list kind of uh, fantasies or whatever, and uh, that's how I got into forensic psychiatry. Mm. And from there, I, you know, the, uh, there are some very famous forensic psychiatrists in the United States that are involved in some of these really big cases like the uh, Dahmer case, Hinckley, the Susan Smith case. Mm, Dr. Resnick, I think, has been involved in all those cases. Wow. But most of the forensic psychiatrists, like 90% of us, really don't get to that level. Uh, we end up doing some smaller level uh, cases or working in correction. In the past 25 years, correctional psychiatry has become a more prominent area in forensic psychiatry, and that's what I do. I, I work for the Department of Corrections in Ohio, so that's kind of how I have... Uh, really engage my practice. Okay. So, well, you know, uh, Dr. Um, King, it's kind of interesting because when I, I went to medical school, as you know, I'm a yes. little ahead of you, uh, but uh, Sam Gerber was one of my lecturers in medical school. I'm sure you remember him. He was involved in the famous, I can't think of the name, but with a doctor, you know, it was a very famous case in Cleveland where the doctor allegedly killed his wife, blah, blah, blah. Okay. And, and then Resnick was also one of our medical yeah. school and psychiatry, mm -hmm. and I did, a, I did a rotation with um, a physician in Cleveland in forensic medicine, because I was very interested in um, that, and actually he ended up, he was a pathologist, forensic pathologist who worked with Gerber, and he ended up being the forensic pathologist for all those people that died perished in 9-11. So a lot oh, of okay. good, really important people came out of that psychiatry psychiatry program in Cleveland. Did you happen to know a Dr. DeLeon during your time there in Cleveland? I may have met Dr. DeLeon. I've certainly heard there of weren't Dr. That many black. There weren't that many black psychiatrists in Cleveland, right. if you remember that time, right? Absolutely. Still not. Mm. Oh, wow. No. More than it, there was. But, yeah, so, you know, yeah, uh, Dr. Resnick's program, at one point, time was the top forensic training program in the country, and he right. was recruiting the, the very top uh, fellow. Uh, right. He since retired from actively, I think last year he retired from being active, uh, but he still teaches. Oh, wow. Yeah. He's a legendary man. He really is. Oh, yeah. Excellent. Excellent teacher. Yeah. Excellent teacher. Yeah. Probably the best teacher I've ever come across in psychiatry. Oh, wow. But, we could talk about him for the whole hour. So this I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> okay, then. So, you know, we always hear this. I'm going to a psychologist versus a psychiatrist. So since you the psychiatrist, tell us the difference, but then also tell folks how you guys work together because you definitely work together as a team. Right. So a, a psychologist is trained at, in the, the liberal arts and not in medicine. So there's a whole protocol uh, curriculum, you know, that deals with psychology as a, you know, a, a human science, if you will. Okay. And psychiatry is a medical specialty that moves into behavioral and mental health disorder. That's the fundamental difference. But we do work together as a treatment team. And usually psychologists or counselors or social workers will 
see a patient initially and begin a treatment plan, and if there's a indication, we'll refer to a psychiatrist for medi medication management. That's kind of the modern way that behavioral health is practiced. You know, historically, psychiatrists also were involved in doing psychotherapy and counseling, but with managed care and the evolution of behavioral health, that is not a typical practice for psychiatry in, in this modern era. Now, there are still some psychiatrists that do psychotherapy. There are even, even psychiatrists that do psychoanalysis, you know, the laying on the couch and all that. That's uh -huh. done in a, it's in, it's in a minority. You know, that kind of practice is usually uh, for, you know, well-to-do people that can pay for that. Okay. Does it yes. take special it training for that? Yes, it takes special training. Uh, it's that whole Freudian approach that mm -hmm. has uh, evolved, and it's a very legitimate practice of psychiatry, very complex, and it, it does take a special training and skill to be able to do that. Most counselors are using traditional, you know, more traditional cognitive behavioral therapy or kind of offshoot psychoanalysis, not classic psychoanalytic approaches. But uh, that's a very legitimate and can be a very helpful approach to doing counseling, just not very commonly done. Let's really talk about mental health, but mental wellness and why that's important, you know, and, and some of the things that, that we can do. You know, here at uh, Vicky Doe Fitness, we always talk about the different dimensions of wellness and then you know, most people focus in on physical health, you know, exercise and nutrition. But we always say, listen, you need to really think about mental health as a dimension as well, taking care of yourself, that mental wellness. So what can we do and why is it important? Well, if your mental health is not in order, then nothing's going to come. And it just depends on the degree of kind of mental distress you may be under. It could be just day-to-day -day stress that we all deal with, all the way to the spectrum of uh, full-blown mental disability. So I think that one thing that we can do is just be mindful that we should take care of our mental health with rest, not overindulging in things that are going to uh, kind of harm our mental health, exercise, uh, proper nutrition, engaging in activities with our families and friends that are productive and supportive, engaging in you know, hobbies or diversions that take us away from our stressful encounter. You know, some of the things that uh, kind of come off the top of my head, but also if you find yourself in some kind of distress, reach out. Mm. Even if you're reaching out to your clergy or if you're reaching out to your primary care physician or reaching out to a trusted friend, mm -hmm. uh, you know, reach out for help and support when you find yourself uh, experiencing you know, mental distress. You know, you know Dr. King, I was going to say, all those things that you were mentioning, all those things that I'm sitting going through that, other things we haven't been able to do for a year. No wonder everybody's right. going crazy. I mean, I'm, used, I'm, I'm being a little flip, but I'm putting the truth in death. You know what I mean? Yes. 
everything right. that you mentioned, we haven't been able to do. Well, I think we can, you know, we can certainly exercise. True. And we can interact with our loved ones that we that are in our inner circle. And we can engage in activities that are more solitary, maybe like reading or, you know, some other more solitary hobbies that we can engage in. There may be some solitary things that you want to, may have wanted to get into that uh, you couldn't do before, that because you're isolated, you may be able to kind of delve yourself into now. But, you know, the isolation and that you're referring to has resulted in a marked increase in distress and has resulted in an exacerbation of anxiety and depression mm. amongst our vulnerable population so that uh, the, the COVID crisis mm-hmm. pandemic has resulted in an increase in mental health stress mm. for sure. There's no no doubt about that. That that has been documented in the literature. I'm sure we 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 see it personally in our practice, but it's also been documented in the uh, available literature. Mm. You know, there's been an increase in incidents of anxiety and depression, substance abuse, even an increase in suicidal ideation mm. that has occurred as a result of the pandemic. And our young people are have been even more vulnerable Mm. because they have not been able to engage in their usual activities. You know, they've been taken away from school, Mm -hmm. taken away from social outlets, and their life has really been turned upside down. So, and, Mm. you know, it's been documented in the literature that they have really been very vulnerable to mental health uh, distress. Oh, wow. I know. Yeah. Has that so, been manifested in more suicides or drugs? Uh, I don't have available data about actual completed suicides, but some of the data that I came across did document an increase in substance abuse and an increase mm-hmm. in suicidal ideation mm-hmm. and also an increase in anxiety and, and depressive symptomatology. Young people have been more vulnerable in mm-hmm. this way than uh you know, older cohorts. You know, the older mm-hmm. cohorts have maybe been coping better mm-hmm. because of not being, having so much taken away. You know, you know having your school right. taken away, your socialization yeah. taken away, mm-hmm. being yeah. isolated, not being around your friends, mm-hmm. not being able yeah. to, you know, engage in your sporting activities. You know, that that's, that's in, in, in a, and, you know, adolescents, is a vulnerable time anyway, mm-hmm. very vulnerable. So, you know, it's been a very, uh, very challenging, very challenging. I know. Are you still seeing stigma uh, within the, as they call it, the BIPOC population now, black indigenous people of color with respect to mental health issues and getting some mental health help? Uh, I think that that's getting much better. Uh, I think that the American Psychiatric Association my association has made an effort to really engage and confront the stigma associated with uh, mental health delivery in, in our communities and trying to look at some of the issues around barriers to access to care. The psychiatric, uh, American Psychiatric Association has uh, 
come out with a task force over the past year to really kind of focus on some of these structural issues. You know, I think we uh, still have a ways to go, mm-hmm. but much better. You know, I think that um, the whole kind of um, black consciousness and awareness that has occurred over the past year, you know, in the wake of uh, some of these um, mass shootings and mm-hmm. these other structural problems we've had, has uh, really resulted, you know, it's become manifest in the mental health mm. care delivery fields as well. You know, we're trying to step up and really become engaged and try to help people uh, because, you know, mental health in, in our community is critical. We must address, we must uh, engage and offer treatment to folks because, you know, it's just very critical that we do this. Are people, okay, so, you know, especially our folks, is there still stigma? Are you saying that they are more accepting of trying to seek help now? Are are, are we becoming better at that? Are more accepting? Okay. There's going to be some residual, you know, because it, it, it's been a historic kind of cultural mm-hmm. mindset that has not been engaged in traditional mental health. But I think we have made concerted efforts mm-hmm. to break down these barriers and to minimize and break down the stigma. And I think our efforts across the board and across the country are paying off. Okay. I really do. Oh, that's great. Well, Dr. King, with all the, you know, with the Biden-Harris team coming in now and money's being appropriated for this and that, COVID and this and that, and I have been focusing on this, which is why I'm asking you now that I have you have you as a captive audience, has, have money's been appropriated because that is so sorely been left. You know, I'm, yes. Now, I can't quote you, Captain uh, mm-hmm. Burst, about you know, mm-hmm. where the money is, but yes, I think this whole kind of woke culture and this woke mm-hmm. um, environment that we're in now uh, mm-hmm. has resulted in definitely bringing more focus both in terms of uh, financial resources and other resources dealing with mental health and you know as I as I'm talking now as I re, um, recalling there have been some focus on parity and improving access and now for example with the inability to see people face to face and the mm-hmm. increase in telehealth mm, okay. uh, I think that has also improved access for people mm. across all social and economic um, status. So, oh, wow. okay. yes, I think that there has been a significant improvement in uh, focus both from the financial part and the consciousness part. So with the telehealth, so it, as far as practicing, you know, because, you know, Nate and those guys, my honey sweet Dr. Nathaniel Doe, you know, they're doing more telehealth with yes. the pandemic. So you guys are doing the same thing? Right now, my practice is 100% telehealth. Okay. Oh, wow. Okay. Hmm. And that has really uh, broken down a lot of barriers to access. And I think that going forward, mm-hmm. even once the pandemic is over, I think that telehealth is going to continue to be a substantial part of uh, mental health practice. Because you're meeting the person, okay. you're breaking down the barrier. Okay. One of the issues with 
mental health care delivery in general, not just in communities of color, mm-hmm. has been access. Okay. You know? And whatever we can do to improve access to care, then we'll be able to provide better service. Okay. So telehealth is just another instrument to improve access. So I think that's, you know, absolutely that's going to be, continue to be very important in the future. So it's, it's... Yeah, I think with other areas of medicine as well, I mean, I know now I opt out for telemedicine visits with my internal medicine doctor and with my orthopedic doctor in Cleveland. Um, yes. Made it so much more convenient, mm-hmm. especially right. if you're busy with it and running around and stuff like that. And, it's been, and, and I don't know, you're right, it, there's something different about it. I like it. At first I didn't think I was yes. going to like it, but I, I do like it. You're meeting people more of where they are, you know, they're more they're more comfortable, mm-hmm. I think. Exactly. Uh, they are less likely to uh, kind of no-show. Right. <laughs> yeah. You know, you're making it very convenient for them. So, and, you know, people are really into technology. Yeah. So I think it's, it's mm-hmm. a modern kind of uh, scenario vis-a-vis technology, and people are excited about that. So, you know, I think that it's just, I don't see a downside to uh, telehealth. It's interesting how a circumstance like the pandemic, it changed how we do a lot of things, you know, because I do a lot of stuff online as well now. But it's 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 interesting how we were kind of forced because, you know, we always talked about telehealth and having stuff online and stuff. But when the pandemic came, we were forced to do that. And now we we are seeing some benefits from doing that. So, yeah, that's probably going to yeah. tie over. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So tell us then, as we wrap up, what tips and what, from your perspective as a mental, you know, health specialist, what do you think that we should hone in on now as individuals to keep us on the right track, trying to end this pandemic, trying to ride with this pandemic? What kind of encouragement, what kind of tips would you give us? Right. Well, first of all, let me me just say that we have to stay safe. We have to stay safe. That's the most important thing because we do not want to get sick because as Dr. D can attest to, Mm -hmm. this virus is So I think that we need to block out all the noise about, you know, the politicalization all the kind of mess and all the controversy, and we need to listen to the experts like Dr. D and our national experts. We need to follow the rules, and we need to keep ourselves safe, mm-hmm. ourselves and our families. We need to get vaccinated. Mm-hmm. If the opportunity, when and if the opportunity occurs, we need to get vaccinated mm-hmm. so that we can keep ourselves and our families safe. So that's one thing I, that I want to say, you know, the social isolation, the social distancing and all that, I know it's stressful and it's, you know, it's hard, but we have to continue to do this so that we can come out on the other end mm-hmm. and go back to a normal life. In the meantime, you know, I think exercise is important. I think that engaging in, you know, hobbies and pastimes that are healthy and that are uh, productive, are important. You know, I would 
not advise people to overindulge in alcohol or other substances because, as I had alluded to earlier, there has been an uptick in substance abuse during the pandemic. But, you know, that is a, a very maladaptive strategy for coping that's going to lead into some, could lead into some problems. And, you know, I think the spiritual endeavors, if you're not religious, you know, whatever your spiritual kind of uh, refuge is, that's important to engage. And if you are religious, you know, engaging in your faith-based activities, very important. Even if you can't go to church, you know, mm-hmm. if you can't go to church, you can read your Bible, you can read your upper room, or, you know, whatever, whatever you do mm-hmm. to spiritually engage. Mm-hmm. I think that's very important. You know, some, those are some of the things that, you know, and if you are having some more significant crises or stress, reach out to a local mental health professional. Reach out to your primary care physician who could refer you to a mental health professional for an assessment. You know, don't minimize and try to just battle it through on your own. You know, reach out for help. Well, those are all, those are all very excellent um Excellent, excellent things. I just have one quick question, Dr. King. What do you do? What's your hobby? <laughs> I shouldn't admit that I'm a workaholic. <laughs> everything I just told you. Everything I just told you. No, not really. Uh, <laughs> you know, I'm not a poster boy, but no, I'm not going to even go there. Okay. Well, what are my hobbies? Well, so, what, what, what I try to do, you know, I listen to jazz. I'm a big jazz Okay, yeah. Uh-huh. I'm a big, so I, I listen to jazz. Uh, I try to exercise as much as I can. Okay. I want to read more. I wish I could read more because I have, a, you know, I have so many books. that I, I'm kind of a compulsive uh, magazine and book buyer. And when I retire, I could probably spend like five years just reading the stuff that me I want to read. Me too. Me too. The quarantine you know. was perfect for me, but I couldn't, I couldn't appreciate it. Right. Yeah, I mean, right. I have Time Magazine, New York Magazine. Yeah, yeah. That, that, that I, you know, I get it every week and I don't read it, you know, but, you know, right. so uh, I, I try to take the time, you know, spending time with my family, my mother, mm-hmm. who's my best friend, you know, I spend time mm-hmm. with my mother. Oh, okay. Oh. Um, you know, so those are some of the things that I, you know, try to do. But well, uh, I could be doing a better job. You know? <laughs> I think we all. It's different, you know, because this pandemic seems to be going on and on and on and on. We had to, to right. either go back to our hobbies or figure out a new something to do to occupy our time. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Hobbies, in, hobbies are really important, you know. Mm-hmm. But I'm going to um, hip you and, and Dr. D. Y'all better get that audible books. You know, that's how I do my <laughs> books. <laughs> I know. So bad at doing that. I'm, I'm sitting here listening. My, the whole joke about me was that I kept saying, I have all these books, all these books, and I kept saying, one day there's going to be a quarantine, and I'll be able to stay here, and I'll be fine because I have to read all my books. Well, it happens, but I'm working. And still not reading them. Yeah. No, not at all. Too busy not helping. All. You're too busy serving. You're too busy serving. Yes, God. yes, that's it. That's serving, it. You know? That's it. Well, guess what? We have come to the end of this interview with you, Dr. King. It was awesome as usual. It Thank was you. as per usual. Yes. And so how can it's great to be on with you guys. Yes. Really how can folks get in touch with you? 
Well, you know, our practice is the Center for Behavioral Health. You know, we have a website. I'm not sure we're on Facebook and all that because we're kind of a little bit uh, behind, you know, a little behind the times. But, uh, you know, we uh, are, I'm sure we, we have a website. And then our number here is 330-783-9690. Okay. What is it, Center for Behavioral Health? For Behavioral Health. All right. Well, you have something to say, Dee? No, it was Thank a pleasure. Always a pleasure. And talk right. about service as well so stay safe and thank you also for just reiterating what i'm continuing to say about continuing to stay safe and wear your yes. mask and all yes, of that absolutely. That's, that's critical thank you yes now this ends our show d do you have some tips that we should think about well i like the tip that dr king left with us number one stay safe yeah uh continue to wear your mask get vaccinated but also make sure that you try to at least find a hobby. I mean, not everybody needs to run out and run five miles or whatever, but incorporate a hobby in addition to exercise. Don't overindulge in alcohol and you know, put things that are potentially substance abuse, drugs, or whatever, and find a spiritual rescue, whatever that may be. You know, I didn't want to prolong it, but, you know, whether yoga or whatever religious denomination that you're in or whatever spiritual denomination you choose to practice. It's just he was also emphasizing how you should reach out in that direction. Yeah. And, and last, reach out for help. And I would also add, you know, you don't like to be in people's business, but, you know, if you see people needing help, I guess trying to figure out some kind of way that you can subtly help yeah, I think so. But you no, know, but you can subtly reach out to them for help without being intrusive. I know, but it's kind of hard because people are so. Um, what did I say? I know. What pri- privacy That's and so tough. I know. Yeah, I know. And then you don't find out until it's too late. Sometimes. Right. What What else could I have done? You know. This is like he also said we. We just got to make sure that we ride this out, the pandemic. We ride it it out. Yeah. It was also interesting how he was saying that with the youth and adolescents, how they they are really suffering with mental health issues now. Isn't that something? They're having a hard time. Yes. Yes. Very interesting. And I would believe it because, you know, know, these kids are all about socializing, all of that. And that's just been sorely, severely disrupted for them. Has been disrupted, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so we shall see and, hey. We shall see. Yeah, and we are just in I don't know what it would have been like for me, Vicky, if my kids had been stuck up under me during quarantine. I think we both would as I put on Facebook, the parents probably would have found a vaccine before the scientists to get all <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad because even with grown folks, you know, these kids that think they grown, we still have to, know. we still had to kind of deal with them, you know, yes. in this pandemic. So, yeah, 
kudos to all those parents that are dealing with their children. That's what I'm, yes. <laughs> Absolutely. Oh, my goodness. Dr. Stephen King, he did an outstanding job as always when he yeah. comes when he comes and visit us. And so make sure you go to the website Centers for Behavioral Health, and you will be able to get in touch with him and the practice and program Center for Behavioral Health. All right, and as always. For more information, go to our website, vikidofitness.com. And remember, if you have any questions, comments, or just something to say, tweet us, email us, go on Facebook, and share with us your thoughts. Make sure you become an It's All About Health and Fitness premium member. Go to vikidofitness.com forward slash join and register for a $6 monthly subscription. As a premium member, you will have exclusive access to our archive of more than 100 past premium podcast shows, free subscription to our monthly newsletter, and much, much more. But most of all, you will receive exclusive subscriber premium member only episodes of our From the Desk of Vicky Doe. In these episodes, I will focus on special health fitness topics and answer your most common health fitness questions. So go right now. Go to vikidofitness.com forward slash join and become an It's All About Health and Fitness premium member. By subscribing to our premium membership, you are supporting Vikido Fitness, which allows us to continue to produce valuable content, including new podcasts. And as always, thank you, thank you, thank you for your support. Keep listening, sharing, and checking us out. You've been listening to It's All About Health and Fitness with Dr. Vicki Hayward-Doe and Dr. Virginia Banks-Bright. Vicki Doe is owner of Vicki Doe Fitness, a multimedia health and wellness forum, a place to discuss, learn, and participate in healthy living. You can get in touch with Vicki by email at info at vickidofitness.com.